Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Uh, it's the most wonderful time of year, Ryan. Mm-hmm. It's when I actually care about Animal Crossing again, <laughs> because it's the Halloween season in the video game Animal Crossing. Oh, wow. So what is that? Uh, so in Animal Crossing, what does that translate to? Like you get new costumes or do you get like... New costumes, new furniture, new... Uh, you can grow pumpkins, which my Ooh. pumpkins just... Uh, matured today so that was a delight to to go pumpkin patch picking um and there's also jack who is a jack-o'-lantern like jack skellington pumpkin king who shows up on the 31st on your island ah did you mean a character to over identify with as a player (laughs) like (laughs) yeah anytime there's like a jack-o'-lantern guy i'm always like there he is there there's there's my boy so honestly, I the other problem with Halloween season popping up is that I have so I do this thing periodically, uh, where um, about nine months out of the year I'm like, man, fuck Dead by Daylight. That game fucking sucks. It's not fun. It's just it's got a toxic user base, which is true. Um, and I I hate this game nine months out of the year. But then for whatever fucking reason, it's like the worst booty call in the world for three months, where I'm just like. <laughs> I want to play some Dead by Daylight. Uh, and and are you, are you familiar with the most recent uh, killer that dropped in, in DBD? Um, no, tell me about it. Pinhead uh, dropped as a playable killer, uh, the Cenobite. Um, so I pretty much, this was, every time I think I'm fucking out, they're like, hey, do you want to play as Pinhead and fucking throw chains at people and send people to hell? And I'm like, I was going to yeah. ask, how do, like, what are the kills like for for Pinhead if you get a chainsaw or, like, if you can actually throw chains? and Oh, it's actually, it's kind of incredible. Like, uh, the thing is, now, for a game that I loathe with my whole heart and also can't stop fucking playing because I hate myself... Um, a thing I do appreciate about this game is that I feel like it always does really, really right by the killers uh, it gets the rights to when it's like an iconic horror monster. Like, um, they they try to respect these characters. And I like that Pinhead, uh, he, when he picks up the character, like when you, when you knock a character down and then you've got to fucking, you know, huck them up onto your shoulder and carry them to a hook. Um, I appreciate that Pinhead uses just hooks to, ho- like, to pick them up and put them on his shoulder because, like... The th- like watching the hell priest scoop up a person like a sack of grain and just fucking heft them over his shoulder, that's not that's not some pinhead shit. I feel, um, <laughs> and it's kind of great because like so in uh, in the game especially like uh, there are things called moris m o r i where uh, you get like a personalized kill because normally you hook somebody on the thing a bunch of times and then they they just die from being on a hook. Uh, which, again, I know it sounds fantastically fun uh, as a video game. Um, it's great because when you're Pinhead, you literally just, like, attach a bunch of hooks to them, like the end of Hellraiser with Frank Cotton, and then a, uh, you attach them to a spinning wooden pole, and then they descend down to hell. And that's what you do to them. Here's a real crucial point, though. Can you throw CDs? <laughs> They need a CD Cenobite DLC, honestly. <laughs> or, like, have Frank Cotton as, like, a playable survivor. Like, those B-Team Cenobites, like, Camera Guy and Smoking Lady. Like, <laughs> God, Hellraiser 3. Um, so is the ghoul shit you've been up to uh, Animal Crossing? Uh, no, the ghoul shit I've been up to is I bought the uh, entire discography of the death metal band Death. Oh, hell yeah. 
brand new audio cassette. An audio cassette. As it was intended to be heard. <laughs> yeah, death metal on, like, you know, every time that I listen to death metal on, like, Spotify, I'm always kind of like, ah, uh, this isn't metal. I'm listening to fucking Spotify. This is, God, and death is like, they've been around forever. Well, and, and the lead, the lead singer, um... Chuck Schuldiner? Yeah, isn't he dead? I think Chuck Schuldiner, yeah, I, oddly enough, the lead singer of death, I believe Chuck Schuldiner is dead. Um... He, yeah, he's he's been dead for a bit. I feel like, for some reason, it makes me think of the lead singer of Mayhem, Dead, who is also dead. Like, just don't pick a better nickname, I feel. Speaking of death metal, have you seen the Morbid Angel motorbike? No. Is this, like, did, did Morbid Angel, like, license their own bike, or is this just somebody that, like... Uh, so, this guy took the album art for Altars of Madness and made a wraparound for his motorcycle. So, it's, like... Altars of Madness, you know, uh, spiky tendrils, and also the Monster Energy logo, and also the motorcycle logo. <laughs> so and they, then right smack dab in the middle, just Morbid Angel. Man, two things. I love that they had to have the Monster Energy logo in the mix, because that's important. I also love that the Morbid Angel logo, because I have a Morbid Angel uh, muscle tank. Well, it was a t-shirt, but then I made it a muscle tank for workouts. Um, I love any metal band logo that has a little devil tail coming off the letters. That's that's commitment, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Devil tails, also pentagrams added in. Um, and you got to love the upside down crosses. Oh, which yeah. Which are not actually satanic, but that's a story for a different day. <laughs> Yeah, this is a motorcycle from someone who understood the brief. Um, spe- speaking of upside down crosses, the the ghoul shit that uh, I've been doing this week, Quincy, are you aware that uh, Pagan Invasion is not just Pagan Invasion colon Halloween trick or treat, but a full nine uh, video series just called Pagan Invasion that addresses different stuff? Now, how how are you watching this? Have you joined a local uh, Lutheran church? <laughs> Not yet. Although, this is amazing. It, it, all of it is up on YouTube, apparently, because somebody like got, had a bunch of it on VHS and was like, oh, the world needs to have um, like a focus on the family documentary about why Dungeons & Dragons is going to kill your kids. Um, <laughs> my, my friend Liza, um, her uh, partner apparently recognize like because I, I sent i sent liza a link to one of the things like oh my god because she's a member of uh this uh, the church of satan in arizona and you know i was like oh my god have you seen this and apparently she was like yeah my partner actually grew up uh in like the church of the guy that is doing all of these videos so it is a <laughs> small fucking world um and it's just it's soothing background noise to me at this point just like putting on a satanic panic like Document. I don't know. I don't know. There's so, there's something I think about the it. synth soundtrack. Like the, it really needs to be isolated and released by like Terror Vision or Waxwork <laughs> or one of these horror movie label um, record labels. Mm-hmm. They need to isolate the Pagan Invasion <laughs> film score. You're, you're gonna want it on like your Halloween party playlist. I feel. <laughs> Um, so let's let's jump into uh, the first uh, movie we're doing this week. Quincy, uh, we both have the f- uh, uh, the arrow. I think it's Arrow Videos release of uh, uh, Blue Underground. Blue Underground. Thank you. The Blue Underground release of Dario Argento's The Stendhal Syndrome. Um, this was Quincy. I, I I there's a weird thing off top. He so Asia Argento is, is the lead actor in the thing. It's yes, we cannot talk about this movie without admitting that or recognizing that 
Dario Argento directs his daughter in a hypersexual film. It is just deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> like a lot of Very. friends. Um, what I really like about this Blu-ray is uh, Troy Howarth, who wrote all the Jalo books. Oh, yeah. Does a commentary track. And actually made me like the movie a lot more than I did when I just watched it mm-hmm. straight. Um, he kind of does some some backflips to kind of be an apologist for <laughs> for this. He's like, well, you know, Argento directs actors and he's not going to play favorites and oh right like, so asia argento was weird, just the, dude it's it, weird so asia argento was just the best actor for this part and he you know hey you know dario doesn't play favorites it's like it reminds me of when um sweeney todd when they were making the movie and uh you know if 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 uh, tim burton had just said like yeah i'm casting i'm casting my wife as mrs lovett because go fuck yourself like that would have been fine but I remember there was so much hullabaloo at the time of uh, Tim Burton being like, yeah, you know, I, I tried out a bunch of actors for the part, and it just turned out that my wife was the best one to sing for Mrs. Lovett. <laughs> it's like, shut the fuck up, Tim. Like, you can just say, yeah, I'm Rob Zombie, and here's my wife's ass crack. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for coming out. Like, there's it's your God-given right. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Zombie knows his onions, I feel. Um but yeah, like, so Asia Argento uh, plays a cop who, uh, is is she meant to be an American cop going to Italy? No, she is an Italian cop. She's a Rome cop going to Florence. Ah. Because there's a serial rapist, and that serial rapist has started to get the taste for murder. And he has been tracked from Rome to Florence, and the police chief is like... Asia, you gotta go to Florence and smooth things over. Play it real diplomatic. Uh, but Azia's character has a um, disease called the Stendhal syndrome, right? Which is a uh, it's a sort of like it's it's a sort of delirium where essentially uh, when the viewer looks upon a great piece of art. They just start tripping nutsack, and it turns into the tunnel scene from Willy Wonka really briefly. Yeah, and and that's how uh, Argento presents this. It's just like screams, and you know, she'll look at a painting of a horse, and then she'll hear horse neighing and like galloping. <laughs> and then this movie was one of the first Italian movies to use CGI. Yeah, yeah. Which I gotta t- which I gotta tell you. Um, looks uh like weird shit on a dario argento movie yeah it's it's very atrocious well and it's also very um onanistic because Mm -hmm. it's like okay dario you have to you really have to show the pills in 3d going down her throat and her (laughs) esophagus closing that's what you've got to spend all this money on you can't just let it be (sighs) Yeah, well, apparently uh, the budget was a, almost $4 million. I'm assuming a lot of that just went to a lot of the CG. Like, in a Dario Argento movie especially, and, I mean, it is 1996, which is incredible to me that Argento was was still out here fucking pounding the bricks uh, making movies in 1996. Here's the other thing that's wild. Uh, this movie originally got its American distribution through Troma. No shit. They were the only ones willing to. You know what? Actually, 
that kind of checks out with like I think actually it it had to be like a real coup for the trauma team mm-hmm. because surely Dario Argento didn't know what he was signing up for because it actually kind of tanked the movie uh getting any sort of like widespread release or widespread acclaim mm-hmm. it's it's why it stayed this like cult film and like in italy it was super popular but in america like oh wow no one fucking saw it because it went straight to video i mean that's also the thing is that kind of makes sense to me because in you know the year of our lord 1996 i cannot imagine sitting through this movie in a theater full of other people like oh, that harrowing. I'm okay. Like I'm okay. You, you know what? You keep it. That, I'm okay. Like, you know, I have friends that went to see Short Bus in the movie theater, oh. and and had conversations after the movie was over with fellow patrons, and that is unspeakable to me. So so to think about having to even make eye contact with another human <laughs> being, I watched this Blu-ray <sighs> under the shade of night. In my apartment, alone, eating a can of beans by myself. <laughs> As God intended. Shirtless, a naked light bulb uh, swinging from the ceiling. <laughs> eating it at, like, a card table. Like, this is, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the right That's the right vibe. I think the most harrowing uh, viewing experience I've had since um, we started this podcast was when um, I had my buddy uh, Becky Rude on to talk about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, watching that movie in a room with a bunch of people during all caps that one scene in Henry, what I I I was white. It was like watching a porno with your mom. Like it was just I was white knuckling it through that. It's just like Jesus Christ. Why did why did alternatively I think watching Enemy at the Gates with your dad, which I think <laughs> is our generation's Vietnam. <laughs> the amount of people I know that saw that movie where Rachel Weiss cries because Jude Law's penis is so large. This is, yeah, fucking in a sleeping, God, that was, yeah, we really need to uh, have, like, a memorial for everybody that ac- that had to watch that scene, and for some reason in the theater with our parents, tr- <laughs> truly, truly traumatized. Um, but so, uh, she, uh, Asia Argento plays a character named Anna, who has uh, gone to Florence. Qu- quick question here. Is Florence, like, Europe's answer to, like, Miami? If you're in, like, Italy, like, is this, like, a party city? Is this a particularly, like, are you going to Florence for shenanigans? Like, what is what is the role of Florence in this? The only thing I can tell is Florence is known for art, and this movie is about a person who trips balls when she sees art. <laughs> so they're like, uh, go to Florence. I'm So the Stendhal syndrome, of course, referring to when somebody uh, witnesses a beautiful uh, work of art that is so staggering that it like gives you a sort of altered state. I'm astounded that I haven't seen more meme edits of Asia Argento looking at like loss.jpg in <laughs> like a framed portrait or like dick butt or... Like we, we we've already memed the 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 business card scene from American Psycho so much with different stuff, and I feel like this is the logical next step is the Stendhal syndrome. Um, but so she gets into an altered state, and then uh, it meets up with the serial killer Alfredo. Yeah, so she passes out into in the uh, art gallery and drops her purse, which has her service revolver mm-hmm. in it, and um. I, 
Okay, it's a handgun. I'm. I know some nerds gonna be like, it's not a revolver. <laughs> Listen, you can revolve. It doesn't it. matter. Anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she drops her gun, and Alfredo just happens to be in the same museum. She's hunting him, and there's a convoluted explanation later about how like he used the voice mod thing to trick her to give her an anonymous tip that he'd be there get out of here but then she goes into a fugue state because that's the way this movie works but alfredo steals her gun and then later um assaults her and kidnaps her and makes her watch as he assaults a uh prostitute and shoots her through the face with this gun and makes argento look through the holes in the prostitute's cheeks at Alfredo's eye going like woo 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 on the other side of it. I will actually say like as somebody who who was not super high on the Sendal syndrome although actually I'm going to put a pin in that for a moment. The thing about Dario Argento movies is asking does Suspiria make sense as a movie? Absolutely the fuck not and I don't care because Argento movies are 100% vibes. Um and Stendhal Syndrome is, is no is no exception. So like, even if I didn't totally care for this movie, I, there's some stuff about it that I really like. And one of them is the effect on this this bullet passing through the sex worker's face. And then, you know, he sort of peeks through the hole between, like, it goes through one cheek and out the other. And then you sort of see him going Bleh! through the hole. It reminds me of one of the most uh, formative shots I saw in a, in a horror movie as a teenager, which was... That really, really bad Texas Chainsaw remake. Um, oh, yeah. Where uh, she pulls a gun out of her vagina, uh, shoots herself in the head, and then the camera has to, like, pull back through the hole in her head. This was basically that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's What's pretty weird. It's pretty great. is this movie is definitely uh, a, cinematogra- a cinematographical vibe yeah i think so much of this movie is the about the camera work um and oddly enough there's not so much of a soundtrack on this thing at least in comparison to a lot of argento movies where the soundtrack is such a big part of the vibe this isn't yeah yeah like right like it was kind of a quiet movie i thought yeah it's kind of quiet and also um i mean it's kind of hard to make a bunch of movies with goblin doing your soundtrack and then not use goblin in your your movie, yeah, that's the problem. Is I'm, if I'm expecting Gollum, or Gollum, excuse me, uh, Goblin. <laughs> I'm expecting waiting for Gollum. If I'm expecting Goblin and I don't get Goblin, I'm I'm gonna be a little put out. Um, yeah, it, and and the lighting in this movie is actually very tame compared to oh anything else by Argento. Yeah, honestly, like, I don't know how many more movies he did after this, but so much of this movie is just about the mood. Also, it's, I think, uh, one of Argento's most, I don't know, it's really focused on sexual violence in a way I haven't seen in a lot of Argento movies. Now, the thing that I do appreciate, as grimy as it is, is that the movie stays grimy and awful which is Mm -hmm. off it sucks to say that like at least it's tastefully gross Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to make you feel bad and it's not supposed to be any kind of like sensationalist like hey get a load of these you know boobs yeah here's violence 
but it's still really gross. Now, the thing I mm-hmm. do like is Anna, once she kills Alfredo, mm-hmm. the way that she kills and mutilates him is un- is relentless. It is incredible. Here, let's take take us through it. How, how what are we what are we dealing with here? So she, I believe, jabs his eye out with her thumb, uh, and then cuts his belly open. And then, uh, I believe, cut, stabs him on either side of his neck. Mm-hmm. And then drags him through the woods and yeets him into a stream. <laughs> yeah, it's it's brutal. Um, and, and also because, like, so much of it, like, Anna is deeply traumatized from what happens to her at the start of the movie with Alfredo. Um, in a way that it's almost, it's like Miss 45 levels of like, I think you're totally right where, I mean, and Miss 45 is a tough watch. Like I I couldn't, I couldn't make it through Miss 45. Um, but you're totally right. Like, you know, Argento loves to stylize and I never get the impression in the Stenthal syndrome that he's trying to be like, well, I mean, you know, this, this scene is pretty disgusting, but at least it's, you know, pretty to look at, right? Like it is just unrelentingly uncomfortable and brutal and shitty. Yeah, which is characteristic if you consider that he made Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, yeah. Where, uh, I guess it's an interesting bookend, because Bird with the Crystal Plumage is this hyper-stylized violence, but is also unrelenting. And this is just unrelenting without the high style. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, Asia Argento, to say nothing else about her, because, like, I mean, she, I feel like it depends on the thing that she's in for me. Um, and her role as Anna, like, she really turns in a fucking harrowing performance as somebody who is, like, d- deeply damaged and, like, shattered by this experience that happens. And she's just, like, by the, by the end of the movie, um, after she's killed Alfredo and yeeted him into the stream, um, she kills someone else, uh, Marco, who is, I think, her coworker. Uh, Marco's supposed to be her coworker and boyfriend. Who she also kind she also assaults earlier in the movie. Yeah, because she's I guess trying to like process her own assault and like projects onto him. Yeah, it's, the whole movie leaves you feeling very gross and yucky it really does and i mean i mean yeah, the thing is you do, you do also get a scene of her like she um sort of m- mimes assaulting him um if, if that makes any sense and then in a therapy session i think it's like the the, the police psychologist um she's like i wanted to uh, assault him the way men assault you and it was sort of like well i didn't have any phalluses on hand so i wasn't able to do it but I don't know, like, it, this movie is so goddamned messy, and I feel like you, you wouldn't want to make this movie in 2021, you know what I mean? Right, I think it's, it's a very 1996 movie, um, you know, it's really easy to forget that there was a whole section of mini video stores, like, if you go to Scarecrow Video, or, or any other, you know, independent video stores, erotic thriller is a section in the store, Man, here's here's the th- that's incredible to me. But by, by the way, we need to do like a spinoff uh, podcast for the Patreon where we talk about uh, early '90s erotic thrillers because they are fucking fascinating to me. <laughs> like a lot of them, actually, I think would fit on this podcast. Oh, for sure they would. Speaking of uh, erotic thrillers, with uh, 
single white female, do you know who was initially set to star as Anna in this movie? Jennifer Jennifer Jason Lee was considered as... So they started out with Bridget Fonda, uh, who was set to be Anna, but she dropped out. And then they it was almost Jennifer Jason Lee who played uh, the character before Dario Argento was just like, eh, my daughter Asia is already hanging out. I'll just... It's fine. She'll, she'll be in it. Um, but we almost got Jennifer Jason Lee in a Jalo film, which I gotta say, she would have killed it in this role. Yeah. Um, so where do you want to put this on our list? Well, so looking at our list right now, uh, I'm kind of looking uh, around. Okay, so uh, talking about hot messes, at number 301, uh, we have House of a Thousand Corpses <laughs> uh, from an, an incredibly like five years after this. With the wow, s- it's so crazy to think of it as only five years difference yeah it's a lot uh but i mean house of a thousand corpses is is another movie that's sort of like it's like a movie made without anybody's like parents permission sort of a thing where like with stendhal syndrome it's like jesus christ we're we're doing what um what do we think i still have to go with stendhal syndrome Mm -hmm. yeah i I think yeah even though it's maybe one of uh argento's weaker films it's still dario argento it really is and i mean the thing is like i'm I used to think that I didn't like Dario Argento, and then I realized I actually like him a lot. Uh, and this movie is so... It's messier than shit, but he's willing to do sort of surrealist shit like, Hey, uh, here's my daughter Asia having uh, a psychedelic tripping sequence because she looked at a painting. She's uh, There's a giant fish uh, swimming up to her underwater, and she's making out with a fish now. I don't know, you tell me. Moving on to the next scene, and just like, what the fuck am i watching levels of there's also uh gratuitous razor play oh yeah razor blades in mouths is just a thing that like wigs me out (laughs) yeah there's also a point where the killer lodges a razor blade into his hand so he can use it to cut anna yeah, the the bit where he uses the razor blade to like uh, split her lower lip and then make out with her, like it's. I feel like describing, you know, the, the question of does Stendhal syndrome have a plot, and it's like, well, not as such, but it does have a series of upsetting images that lead into the next one. Um, and as disturbing images go, this one it it's pretty good. It's good stuff. No. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but at number 295 is High Tension, mm-hmm. and I'm going to argue not, I'm, not I your favorite movie. don't like that movie that much mm-hmm. better than the Stendhal Syndrome. Yeah, I agree. I think, and and uh, well, tell me why, why you think it's better than Stendhal Syndrome. So the Stendhal Syndrome is unrelenting, but really doesn't have the style that Argento is known for. Mm-hmm. Um High tension is unrelenting, but also has style. Yeah, Aha's direction in high tension, I feel like this is how that guy got so many jobs after this, was like, high tension has a clarity of purpose in the thing that it's doing in the way that, like... And, I mean... It has a distinctive visual signature. Yeah. And Stendhal Syndrome doesn't. Even the, like key shots like the the things that are really technical things the cgi doesn't scream argento it's just weird 
out of place stuff. Like nothing in this movie feels like it belongs to the same director as Suspiria and Inferno. Totally agree. And I'll, I would I would take it one step further. Uh, get your stinking CG out of my Jalo film. That's yeah. <laughs> that's the way that I feel. If I'm watching Jalo, I shouldn't be going. Oh, that's pretty cringe CG. Like just. Give me like you can you can shell out for practical effects like I I, I do not want to see like Windows ninety five screensaver graphics in my in my Shala movie fuck out of here. Do you think in ninety six it went better than we're taking it now? Maybe, but my frame of reference. I mean, well, okay, not that everybody has Jurassic Park money, but you know, Jurassic Park was three years before this and had really really good CG in the way that like, I mean, you know what? Actually, I'm full of shit, and I'll tell you why. Um. <laughs> I'm currently in the midst of a Buffy rewatch, um, and we just got to season three, wherein a snake demon destroys <laughs> a high school. Uh, I, yeah, that snake demon is a hard. <laughs> I giggle and clap every time I watch that fucking episode. So, I mean, it's it's bad CG. It's probably aged like milk, but yeah, I just I think that if it's a Jalo film, you can't be doing that in here. Like, you've got to go practical, I feel. So the question then is, if it's not as good as High Tension, is the Sindal Syndrome better than Blackenstein? Ooh, I really, I really love <laughs> Blackenstein. Uh, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it's it is. It's an anti-Vietnam movie. <laughs> it really is. Like, Blackenstein, I wish more people knew about this movie. Um, it's really... Or, or knew about it beyond it being a punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than it yeah, being sort of a late night show, we're going to say the most ridiculous you know movie title we can think of joke. I think... Okay, here's here's what I think. Uh, I think the uh, I think that Blackenstein is a better movie than uh, Stendhal Syndrome because um, this feels like a movie that came, like, th- that's out of its time period in a way, where, like... It's a mid-90s Argento movie that kind of doesn't know what it wants to be anymore. Um, and it's caught between all these different eras, and it's a giallo film with CG, which is just uh, hideous as a, as a concept. Um, and yet, Blackenstein was this product of exploitation and a director saying, well, if, you know, we'll make do and make some social commentary in between uh, very absurd, ridiculous <laughs> scenes of a Frankenstein. Absolutely. And and so with that, I think that I want to give the edge to Blackenstein. However, right below Blackenstein at number 298 is The Hunger, um, which is, of course, the, the David Bowie uh, vampire movie. Um, I feel like I want to give the edge to Stendhal Syndrome. Uh and I love The Hunger. Like, that's a great movie. But I can't, when I think about it, I can't tell you anything about it other than, oh, shit, that was the movie that had uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus over the opening credits, and then David Bowie is there. Um, yeah, and I mean, the Sindal Syndrome is still a Dario Argento movie at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, and I mean, it's, Argento movies, I fe- I'm going to say a thing and, and, and see if it's true, right? Uh, Argento movies are great for giving you an image that will stick in your brain long after the plot ceases to be a going concern for you. Yes, unfortunately, it's a guy flipping a razor blade with his tongue in his mouth. Oh boy, that the, the razor blade kisses. It's it's just our, Dario. Come on, can we calm down? Um, but yeah, I would feel pretty good about putting it uh, below Blackenstein and above The Hunger at our new number 298.
Next up is an equally cringy watch, but in a different sort of way. Uh, we watched Basket Case. Yeah, we certainly fucking did. Quincy, had you had you seen Basket Case before? Yes, I had. Um, I, I was also aware that Frank Henenlotter uh, also worked on uh, Frankenhooker. Oh, yeah. Frankenhooker, which uh, is, I think, for me, like the gold standard in sleazy straight-to-video horror in the 1980s. Have you ever seen the uh, the video rental boxes that talked? What? What? No. What is this? There. So amongst VHS collectors, it's a it's a chalice, a, a grail, if you will. <laughs> it's a um, big box, which were the very large size boxes that VHS were sold in mm-hmm. uh, back when shelf space was, you know, you know, the bigger the box, the more likely a consumer to buy it. Of course. So like video stores would have these oversized boxes and it had a sound chip in it and it would talk. Did it say want a date? I cannot confirm nor deny this. <laughs> Cause like for me, I'm like, if it doesn't say want a date, like what are we, that's, that's, that's the first thing you put on that. Honestly, I, uh, I feel that that's how you get physical media, like, back in the game, maybe. Like, because, you know, everything is digital now and nobody really owns anything. And, of course, you know, listeners of Rank and Vile will know that the two of us are fucking cantankerous about physical media and how important it is to have physical media. Upsettingly so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like that's how you drive more interest in physical media is, like, add weird gimmick shit to it that makes the collection of it, like, notable. You know what I mean? I dubbed uh, AEW All Out onto VHS before I watched it. <laughs> Quincy, you're a fucking visionary. Like you're you are you are my Yoda when it comes to like going from digital to analog. Like this is this is the way. Um, basket case, by the way, I'm uh, I grieve the fact that I watched this on um, digital and uh, instead of having it on uh, a VHS tape, which I feel like is customary um, for basket case. It was made in 1982, um, and it just oozes with disgusting Manhattan like 42nd Street sleaze. Oh yeah, it's it's New York when New York was scary. It's New York. So when everyone talks about like scary New York and 80s New York, mm-hmm. I always think of the scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure when he's going to the psychic and like the the street toughs are like, "Hey man, you don't belong here." Like that's my default like CD New York. <laughs> Yeah, in my head, absolutely. That and Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh fuck yeah, Casey Jones. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Actually, New York City was invented by the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, which, by the way, this movie is like it was made by a skeleton crew. Fun fact: um, a bunch of the credits in this movie are different made-up names because there were so few people working on this movie that they didn't want it to just be the same names over and over again for like director of photography, gaffer, lighting guy, like, they just made up names for the thing to make it look like more people had worked on it. Um, my question is, Jason Takes Manhattan, they were like, oh, we ran out of budget and time and we could only have, like, 15 minutes of the movie take place in New York City, and I'm like, what? Basket Case was run by, like, three rats holding a camera, and it's, it's like, firmly ensconced. <laughs> they got a pizza rat, and they just paid him pizza. <laughs> 
as was the style in 1982 in New York City. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? F- fuck you, Jason Takes Manhattan. Like, if the makers of Basket Case in 1982 can afford to do it, like, you can you can afford not to make it Friday the 13th shitboat. Um, now, the uh, this, this uh, revolves around... Um, now... I don't think it's going to be uh, telling stories out of school to say that this movie has some weird ableist shit going on. Oh, for certain. Um, also, what's fascinating is uh, this movie is a great example of the first film having an ending, a, de- a definitive ending, and then being retconned by the sequel. <laughs> uh, the old Phantasm 2. Yeah, yeah, this movie, um, it, it revolves around... Um, two two brothers uh, named Dwayne and Belial, by the way, um, and uh, they were born as conjoined twins. But like Be- Dwayne uh, is the the friendly looking twink with the fluffy hair, uh, and Belial is a demon monster that is like emerging from his abdomen. Yeah. So so they were separated. And um, Dwayne gets to pass as a um, able human, and Belial has to live in a basket. Uh, now, the basket thing, uh, I, I will say, uh, Belial, there are some truly incredible stop-motion sequences with the Belial puppet. Um, I also feel like Dwayne and Belial are maybe succumbing to nominative, nominative determinism a little bit. Like, okay, my name is Dwayne, so I've got to be, like, a friendly, hapless, well-meaning guy. And my, your name is Belial? So, obviously, you're a fucking antichrist demon that eats people. I mean, they were raised with that exact treatment because the father's like, oh, I hate this creature, so I'm going to name him Belial. Yeah. And there is a scene in the movie where he's like, why don't we just call this thing Belial because I fucking hate it so much? Yeah. How did he settle on Belial, by the way, as the thing to call this this demon creature? Um, I will also say Dwayne has a great head of hair. And this is the kind of thing I notice because I'm 34. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> damn, look at that full head of hair on this guy. That's incredible. He shows up to the Hotel Broslin in New York City. Uh, and I will say, the guy behind the counter at the Hotel Broslin is the boss. He's the final boss of CD Motel Managers. Oh, he's wonderful. He's like the guy from Hey Arnold that works in construction. <laughs> he's constantly wearing a tank top, constantly mm. talking New York trash. Yeah, he's inc- he looks like if uh, Carl from Aqua Teen drank the Bane juice. <laughs> like he's he's just like balding and has like a, an A-frame shirt with suspenders and he's just salty as fuck about everything. Um, Dwayne is a simple lad who splashes his money around um, a, while renting this motel. And so, what he's in town to do in New York City is that he is he and Belial are hunting down all of the people responsible for separating them when he was a kid. Yes. So we finally get towards the end of this movie, we realize what's happening. And then Dwayne goofs. He gets drunk and starts talking shit about his brother. Which is also incredible because I feel like this actor who plays Dwayne I feel like this man has never been drunk in his life and doesn't totally know <laughs> what drunk people are supposed to sound like. Um, he's just sort of... He's he's talking like he has been doing whippets instead of being drunk. Like, he's 
he's kind of waggling his big, pretty head of hair a little bit and just being like, yeah, so my brother's a fucking demon. Um, it's... <laughs> he looks like an octopus with bones. <laughs> he looks like if H.P. Lovecraft designed the hamburger helper glove. <laughs> um, and Belial, I will say, so much of this movie is like Dwayne feeding Belial in the basket. Uh, handing down, like, a package of room temp hot dogs and Belial, like, snarfing it, like... <laughs> like, it's just... It's so... I yell, I laugh-yelled every time Belial ate something in that basket and made snarful noises. It's... Oh, yeah. It's truly incredible. So where do we want to put this on our list? Well, now, the thing about it is... I, uh, I There are a couple of things about this movie that I really like. Uh, this movie is kind of touching at points yeah there's this really uh fascinating thing about family and like there's this argument that it's this woman that tears the brothers apart and like even though Belial does try to murder her it's because he's like hey you've gotten between me and my brother and like you've you've damaged this good family thing we had we were the you know the family that murders together. <laughs> yeah, I, I do also sort of love that, like, I, this... So, uh, Belial's in this apartment, or in not apartment, excuse me, in the hotel, um, making all manner of noises and knocking things over because he is, and I, I can't stress this enough, like a hell gremlin. Um, and everybody else in this motel, which, by the way, the denizens of this motel, how long have all of them been staying here? Because everybody knows each other? It's like an apartment building. Yeah, it's one of those um, hotels that people rent by the month. Yeah, like sort of transients and people who are sort of like, well, I'm kind of cooling my heels here for a while. Um, and they all sort of hear the, the snarling, crazy noises from the room because Belial is like, I don't know, r r doing it for the gram uh, morning, day and night. And so one of the guys who noticed that Dwayne was splashing the money around decides to break into the room and start looking for money. And this is how you get got by a basket of demons. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> now, the murders in this movie almost all sort of take place off camera, and then it cuts to the person after the fact, and you see what Belial did to them. He has uh, an incredible strength for being a little, like... Blob. He's like one of those uh, finger puppets, those little rubber, like alligator-looking boglins. Yeah, he's like a boglin. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's he's a jumped-up boglin, which sounds <laughs> sounds derogatory. He's a juiced-up boglin, uh, and yeah, he's his his death rate in this movie is really incredible. Uh, the puppet work, uh, I don't know. It's like this movie was made on a shoestring, and they managed to make that puppet look like a million bucks. They really did. So I'm looking at number 269 on our list. Nice. Nice. And uh, that's Chopping Mall. Ooh, another VHS classic. I That's a fucking tough one. I feel like, okay, between Chopping Mall and Basket Case, the thing about the movie Basket Case, I want to apply the Roger Ebert uh, standard of what is this movie attempting to do and how well does it accomplish that? Basket Case is 100% the movie it sets out to be, I feel. Like, oh, absolutely. It, pitch perfect. Like, this is, if you're, like, if, if you asked somebody to, like, craft a perfect straight-to-VHS, like, sleazy, disgusting, funny horror movie, like, it absolutely accomplishes that. Where, like, Chopping Mall 
I feel like it takes a while to get to the murder in a way I kind of don't appreciate. Yeah, it it can be a little um, bit more of a slow burn. Now, right above Chopping Mall is Giver, Dark Hero. Ooh. Um, the special effects alone and Screaming Mad George make that better than Basket Case, I would say. I would agree. I mean, Giver, Dark Hero is incredible because it's a horror tokusatsu movie, which is... I don't know, like, I feel like that occupies such a specific place where, I mean, Basket Case, you could sort of, you know, do a double feature with, like, brain damage or, like, bad taste or any number of things from, you know, the early 80s, early to mid 80s, where, yeah, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of things like Giver Dark Hero. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, like, Common Rider, and that's about it. Well, there's... Which, by the way, I feel like I need to bone up on my toku a little bit, because apparently Common Rider gets pretty pretty gross at points. Oh, yeah. It gets uh, wild. Yeah. I, it's... Yeah. I feel like Common Rider is one of those things that, like, a million people that I know and love, like you and Kyle Schlichter and, like, you know, our, my buddy Evan, who's, uh, you know, a friend of the show, like... I, I I'm like right next door to Tokusatsu, and I think I need to just fucking take that take that dive. And Giver Dark Hero, open the door, open yeah, the door. yeah, let it in. And I feel like Giver Dark Hero was a great place to start uh, for that. Um, so yeah, so I would feel pretty good about uh, coming in at our new number two hundred sixty nine. Nice uh, above Chopping Mall and below Giver Dark Hero is a Basket Case from nineteen eighty two. And guys, I cannot stress this enough. Uh, Basket Case is available on Tubi, which is, uh, as you know, the finest uh, streaming service currently available. Not currently a sponsor, although we would gladly oh, sponsor Oh, put, guys, put me on the fucking payroll. Give me, give me the office. I will, listen, I will carry water for Tubi.tv. All I want is a Tubi t-shirt. Just, like, put me on the mailing list for some swag. I mean, I feel like they should lean into it because like nobody's tuning into Tubi to watch like rom-coms or like war movies or anything. Like it's entirely people like us being like, "Well, where can I watch Chud and not pay a lot of money?" And it's <laughs> it's literally just Tubi. Listen, there are other streaming services which will go unnamed that send press packs and like swag to influencers <laughs> yeah. and uh we have been snubbed so much mm-hmm. that uh i mean listen i get every every morning when i wake up and i uh, see on my phone that we've gotten another email from kino lorber and i'm like god damn it what do i got to do to make Tubi notice me and it's <laughs> yeah it's it's rough so yeah so uh new number 269 basket case quincy where can our listeners find us on the internet uh, the best place for our listeners to check out is FaustianNonsense.com. Uh, there they can find links to our uh, list, they can see our episode feed, and they can get a link to our Discord, as well as check out the other shows on our network. Fuck yeah, there's a, a million of them on Faustian Nonsense. Well, not a million, there's like, you know, half a dozen, basically a million. Uh, and guys, thank you thank you so much for listening. Uh, the Discord is always popping. Um, you, you can find us pretty much everywhere podcasts are available. We have a letterbox where we write bad reviews of horror movies. We've got uh, all we've got a Tumblr at rankandvile.tumblr.com. Uh, uh, um, if you have a movie that you want us to watch uh, that you feel like we might not be aware of, uh, you're going to want to send that to rankandvilecast at gmail.com. 
Um, or if you're an independent filmmaker who, for example, uh, if you are Pizza Rat and you are making a <laughs> horror movie in New York City, uh, please hit us up at rankandvilecast at gmail.com and we will uh, want to cover your movie. But barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. Later, folks.